Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Because I think we should start a band. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we can just have one rehearsal if you want to. All right, we'll just have, yeah, that would be fucking awesome. One rehearsal and then done, but then we can be legendary. Exactly. And then uh, what we're going to do, our, our thing is we're not going to compromise our principles. Okay. All right, so what's our principles? <laughs> uh, uh, never mix beer with wine. Okay, that's number one. Uh, Mountain Dew only if the supermarket has regular Mountain Dew and not diet. All right. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I think I'm going to go a different avenue. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to join my own groundbreaking group. <laughs> and I'm going to be the big star. <laughs> and Kurt Cobain's going to talk about me. <laughs> Welcome to No Dogs in Space, everybody. My name is Marcus Parks. And I'm Carolina Hidalgo. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is The Slits, part three. Yes. Of three. Yes. Now, up to this point in the story of the Slits, their career could have gone any number of ways. While the Slits were never going to be as big as the Clash, they certainly had the possibility of being at least as big as the Damned. But when it comes down to it, the Slits made decisions that, while highly respectable, placed principle over any hint of compromise every time. And those decisions both took the band one step closer to history and one step closer to the end. So, let's jump back into the recording of their debut album, Cut. Now, because Cut producer Dennis Bovel demanded perfection from the slits, the recording of the album, which was only supposed to take a month at most, ended up stretching out to ten weeks. They were having so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want this vacation to be over. They were having a great time. Even though Ari got uh, lice, you know, they were still having an awesome fucking time. And, you know, and that's the thing is that they, it's not that they had to learn how to play their instruments because they all knew how to play their instruments. It's that they, they had to learn how to do it tight and they had to experiment, which is what makes that album so fucking great. Now, while Island Records, their record label, now, while Island was supportive up to a point, it was the beginning of what would eventually become an acrimonious relationship. Supposed to take two weeks, ended up taking ten. 
But surprisingly, Island was totally supportive of the Slits concept for their debut album cover, which is a good thing because the cover to cut is one of the fucking coolest of the 70s. Yes. I mean, well, Island, they were supportive because remember, they when they signed with Island Records, they signed with having complete artistic control, yeah. which included the cover. And this is something that was very rare. It was amazing. I mean, Iggy Pop got to do it. A few bands got to do it. And they were lucky enough to do it themselves. Yeah. So that's what they were. They're like, this is how we're going to do it. Like, Island Records had no idea what was going on. (laughs) (laughs) Because the cover is the three of them naked. Well, Almost naked. Mostly naked. Yeah. Yeah. They were still at Ridge Farm when they came up with this, like, savage warrior, earthly woman in the woods look. That's That's where they wanted to go. Yeah. All right. So they did the shoot, you know, they had like, you know, they messed up their hair and, you know, and not just on your head because they didn't shave their legs or armpits. No, no, no. They were hairy, hairy ladies. Yes. I mean, (laughs) which is natural. It's natural. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And they also started rubbing mud all over themselves. And a friend of their managers who was visiting that day, you know, kind of figured out what they were doing. He's like, hey, that's kind of like the African tribe I saw last time I was in Africa. I can show you how to make a loincloth. Yeah. So he showed them how to tie a loincloth from strips of fabric dipped in mud. They put them on. So, you know, they, they had to take off all their clothes mm. right in front of all these guys who are just like, oh, come on. <laughs> you guys are lovely ladies, please. <laughs> <laughs> this is your what I never. <laughs> no, it's more like Dennis Bold, you know, who produced Cut. He was like more like mortified because it's like, I don't want to be in a picture with naked white women. <laughs> Okay, fine, one picture. It's just because he was afraid he was going to get so much shit. It was like, my yeah. reputation's on the line, and i got to call my wife after this. <laughs> i got to explain the context, you know? So, yeah, on the cover, there's a three of them naked, except for the loincloths, uh, totally bare-breasted, covered in mud, standing in warrior stance, like no sucking in your stomach or, or finding your best side. It wasn't meant to be sexy, but strong yeah. and confident. And it reads. I mean, it looks like such a cool. I mean, because that's what I knew about the slit. That's what I knew about the slits before anything else is that I knew that fucking cover. Because when I when you see the the cover to cut, you want to hear the album. Like you want to know, like, what the fuck is this? Uh, And it worked perfectly. Unfortunately, it kept them out of sores. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) that was the thing. Like some dude tried to sue because he's like, I got in a car crash because I saw that. It's like, well, man, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I feel sorry that you've never seen boobs before. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's an uncompromising, cool shit cover, but it hamstringed them. Because, you know, that cover is not, that record is not going to be on display at record stores. You know, it's not going to get in a Walmart, even though Walmart wasn't around back then. But you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. not going to go to the, you know, the department stores of the day. It's, it really, like, it. Harrods. Uh, Harrods. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be in there. Or is it? No, uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's not going to, what, what they did is they just immediately uh, took down the amount of venues that would be able to sell the record uncompromising cool as shit but it made it harder to find and the recording of cut was one of the most consequential times in the slits career in more ways than one besides just the recording this was also when they hired dick odell as their manager their 
13th manager by that point. Well, you know, that's fine. Before you, I probably had 13 ex-boyfriends. <laughs> it's fine. It takes a while to shop around. I had about 13 ex-girlfriends. It's fine. <laughs> We're on equal footing here. But since Dick O'Dell was spending a lot of time at Ridge Farm, one of his other bands started hanging around as well, and the slits grew close to another off-kilter yet highly influential band called The Pop Group. You know, just as a very quick side note, if you want to get into more of that style of post-punk, look no further than the post-punk revival of the early 2000s. Listen to bands like Les Savi Fav, clap your hands, say yeah, to a lesser extent, but especially The Rapture. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I'm floating in a constant heaven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I'm floating in a constant heaven. like to go to college with me in 2003 it was just me not shutting the fuck up about that band <laughs> so the pop group yeah i mean they were a really fucking cool experimental band i don't know how else to really describe them it's just <laughs> punk yeah. funk post-punk jazz very listenable extremely yeah. listenable yeah they're a very listenable experimental band like they're fucking great and their debut album, Y, which was the letter Y, was also produced by Dennis Bovel mm -hmm. at Ridge Farms at the same place the year before. And so this album was about to be released April 1979, which is where we are right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the pop group is going to end up becoming, like, very important to the sluts. In fact, didn't, like, Viv, like, date one of the guys in the pop group? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gareth, and yeah. then Bruce, uh, Bruce Smith uh, played with them and married Nene Sherry. Yeah, there you go. I mean, they're gonna, th yeah, the pop group and the Slits are one. They're they're besties. They're besties. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Now, when it came time for the Slits to release a single, Island thought that the choice was obvious. Before the recording of Cut had even begun, 
the Slits had already recorded a blistering cover of Marvin Gaye's I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Yes. song the slits are known for yeah it's a great song it's such a good i mean it's such so good. it's so good it's such a good cover <laughs> i know <laughs> it's How, such it, a good cover came out of you guys that's amazing <laughs> yeah i mean they recorded the song together and they gave it everything they got on the first take and then the head of island records chris blackwell he was there he was like yeah that was great let's just do a few more yeah and they're like what did you just <laughs> didn't you just hear that Fine, we'll do a couple more for safety. And what what you're listening to is mostly the first take. Yeah, first I mean, take, all of them play because they were used to all playing together, and that was part of why cut was so so difficult for them because they were doing single tracks. Right, they were all recording it separately. But that like that's the slits at their fucking tightest. Yes, because you know Ari's vocals were like perfect. Uh, j- just a few of the the, the loud screaming parts. Uh, that, that's just from a different take. But really, the whole song is what you hear when they first went in the studio to do it, which is so cool. And so they got Dennis Brown to mix the track, but it became clear after a few hours that he didn't know what he was doing in the studio. So who is Dennis Brown? Yeah, he's the guy who's famous for Money in My Pocket. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was just like this big time, like recording artist, and he shows up with his buddy, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he starts like messing around with with the buttons, and after like... A few hours was like midnight by then. They're like, so do would you know what you're doing? <laughs> We're just asking because it's... Buddy, you need a, need a little help? Need a little nudge? And he's like, I, you know, this is just a lot of buttons. <laughs> <laughs> so they called in this Jamaican girl, Rima, who was working as an assistant in the studio next door. And she mixed it that night with the slits. Island Records had no idea that Dennis Brown just went home. <laughs> but it didn't matter because the song is great. Yeah, I mean, this this girl that was she was working as a fucking assistant and Yeah, she knew, was a tape operator, which is pretty much a gopher. Yeah, and knew more than anybody else in the room. And that song is mixed beautifully. Yeah. It's mixed so fucking well. Now to Island, releasing Grapevine as the single was a fucking no brainer. The song was well known. The way the slits did it was danceable as hell, and the take, like the Flying Lizards hit Money from the same year, was unique. It was totally unique. It had all the makings of of a hit. But the slits didn't want to be known for a cover. They wanted to be known for their own songs. So, and again, a respectable, if regrettable move, they made Grapevine the B-side 
and released Typical Girls as the A. great fucking song but it's weird and grapevine is a hit yeah well i mean remember total artistic control yeah i mean it's a great thing but sometimes maybe you need someone else to bounce off of <laughs> you're like do you think this is a good idea i don't know but you know what it's fun it's respectable it's respectable and it eventually kind of sort of pays off but even before the single was released budgie the boy slit drummer already had his eye on the door. And as the story goes, the opening he needed to leave the slits was indirectly caused by the slits themselves at an in-store signing to promote Join Hands, the second record by Susie and the Banshees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, she can. God damn, she can. <laughs> yeah, Susie and the Banshees, I mean, they were already having band troubles. It wasn't necessarily directly because of the slits. Not, no, no, no. It wasn't a, a indirectly caused by the slits. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. Well, what really happened was that Kenny Morris and John McKay, their drummer and guitarist of Susie and the Banshees, they felt like they were being ignored by the rest of the band because they were, they said they were more focused on the art. Okay, the drummer and the guitarist were more focused on the art. Yes, while the, they thought the rest of the band, well, Susie and Steve, yeah. mostly, were about selling records. Mm-hmm. But Susie and Steve were like, no, that's not true. We're about the art. We're about uh, not selling the records like these guys. <laughs> I don't know. There's I don't give a, fight. a fuck how many fucking records we sell. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as the whole band walked into the record store to sign autographs for Join Hands, John McKay decides... I don't want to listen to our new album because it was playing, mm-hmm. you know, while they were signing. They're like, this feels lame. So he put on the new Slits album instead. Yeah, because Cut had just come out like a couple of weeks before. It yeah. It was brand new. And as they were signing autographs for Joint Hands, they noticed that they ran out of records. You see, the record company didn't send enough. 
So the drummer and guitarist started giving away promo copies, not meant for sale, because they're like, well, just have this. I mean, it's laying around. Yeah. Just take this piece of crap. <laughs> That's what they were saying. And Susie got pissed and shoved John McKay and said, what are you, an idiot? And that was the moment where John and Kenny Morris both thought, we've had enough. That's it. You shoved me the wrong way. Yeah. And they got up from their seats and walked out. But not just that, but they walked out of the entire tour. <laughs> they got in a cab and said, take me to the airport. <laughs> and the band finally realized that when they didn't show up for sound check. <laughs> and they're like, well, fuck these guys. You know, they, they had some choice words to say on that show uh -huh. because they were opening for The Cure on tour. So Robert Smith stepped up and filled in as their guitarist. And said, you know, go up there, we'll do a song together, and say whatever you want about John and Kenny. <laughs> which they did. They're like, hey, if you guys see them, beat them up. <laughs> and that's how they got Budgie as their drummer, since Budgie already planned on just being like a temporary slit anyways. He was just helping him out. And he always wanted to join the Banshees, which really worked out because he married Susie Sue in 1991. Oh, holy shit. Yeah, they got married for, for about a decade. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't last. I mean, it lasted. Hey, a decade's fine. Yeah. As far as punk rock marriages go, a decade is A-OK. -okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, this I mean, the story, the legendary story was that they were listening, that Susie and the Banshees were listening to Cut, uh, and the drummer and the guitarist were listening, and were like, I don't want to do the pop music like Susie wants to do. I want to do what the slits are doing. <laughs> and so they left. No, it was because he was being shoved. <laughs> and he's no, like, I feel like a backing band. It's much more human than that. It's not <laughs> the fucking, it's not the beginning of the second act in a fucking rock biopic. <laughs> <laughs> so to replace Budgie, the slits brought in Bruce Smith of the pop group, who started doing double duty with both bands. And the Slits headed out on an 11-date UK tour that the Slits titled Simply What's Happening. But while other bands at this time were doing punk package tours, the Slits decided to forego that, opting instead to tour with artists they personally loved, genres be damned. One was Jamaican reggae star Prince Hammer, backed by British dub band Creation Rebel. Very cool stuff. But as great as Creation Rebel and Prince Hammer were, the Slits' choice of the other band on tour was far more consequential as to how it affected the Slits afterward. Backed by a band who had played backup to Lou Reed called Happy House, the Slits chose jazz great Don Cherry. 
Again, very cool shit. Yeah, I mean, he was a famous trumpeter who, like, he worked with Ornette Coleman and John Coltrane. I mean, this guy was very, very well respected. He's a heavy. He's legit. Yes. And now on tour with the Slits. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) And Don Cherry also brought his teenage stepdaughter, Nene, on tour, and the girls, like, instantly bonded with her. She became best friends with Ari. Mm -hmm. And then she'd later be, like, their backup singer and dancer and, you know, what they call the all-around vibe master. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like, what's his name? That was, uh, oh, man, I can't believe I've heard. The guy that was in Happy Mondays that just kind of danced around beds. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes there's that guy. Yeah, sometimes there's that guy. Sometimes there's that girl. Yeah, you can see that in ska music too, right? So Nene, her real dad was a musician from Sierra Leone. So she taught the girls some cool African chants and old nursery rhymes from West Africa. You could definitely see... Like, the influences from the world music, really. Oh, yeah. Especially from Nene in the second album that we're going to talk about. Yep. And as fantastic as that lineup sounds, this tour is pretty much a case study in how good intentions can result in disaster. Now, if the Slits had chosen, say, a couple of other British punk bands to tour with, or at this point, it's post-punk, you know, you could even argue that the Slits are post-punk. But yeah, if they would have chosen a couple other British bands, then the costs of the tour would have been minimal. But Island refused to pay for Prince Hammer and Don Cherry, who had to be flown in from Jamaica and America, respectively, along with their entourages, who Hammer and Cherry insisted come along. They always come in big groups. (laughs) You got to pay for a plane ticket for every single one of those guys. And since Island refused to pay for all that, the Slits paid for it all themselves using their advance from Cut, which, of course, in advance, that ain't a paycheck. That's a loan. You gotta pay that shit back eventually. And even after flying in the artists and the entourages, the Slits also paid for the visiting bands to stay in the best hotels for the entire tour, while the Slits took nothing more than a small wage and stayed in the shitty hotels. So what that meant was that by the end of the tour, the Slits had spent their entire 45,000 pound advance. 45,000 pounds in 1979. Incredibly generous. <laughs> but, you know, you, I get it. I get it. They, they, they want to be able to be like, hey, the, we're, we're pretty good, too, but these guys are great and we want to show everybody. Yeah. No, I, I, and they it, would like headline like they would switch who would headline at every single show. So not to be like, hey, we're the headliners. We're the greatest band ever. And then these are little minions. It's like more like, hey, check this out. We're all awesome. Co-headliners. Definitely the best of intentions. But 
you know, the disaster that was the tour. I mean, it wasn't just the expenses. And the other part of it is not the Slits' fault at all. This being an ostensibly punk tour, the people who showed up, who were more used to the Sex Pistols, the Damned, and the Buzzcocks, did not always show the respect that Don Cherry and Prince Hammer deserved. Yeah, that's racism. Yes. That's all it was. It was dumbass racism. You know, like one time in Newcastle when they played there, uh, it was after a show, Prince Hammer had to take on four racists by himself. I mean, he didn't fight, which is an interesting thing. He didn't need to fight. He just had to show up. (laughs) Because he was like a tough and serious Jamaican guy who did not put up with bullshit. No, of course not. He's like, what did you say about my pal Don Cherry? what, 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 What is it? You know, like like he had to just stare, like an angry stare, and then everyone's like, "I we don't know, we're going home." <laughs> but they still had to deal with a lot of things like gobbing, like they didn't know what that was. No, and it's like the, spitting at at the performers. The, the the gobbing the the gobbing doesn't have anything to do with racism. That just had to do with a disgusting habit that the punks did. Because that's the th- but that's also the thing about gobbing is that they did it when they loved the band. They also did it when they hated the band. I guess they fucking <laughs> so, if they had a smile on their face while they did it then it was fine uh but don cherry and prince hammer like they were serious fucking dudes they were serious musicians and they're in fucking newcastle having some asshole with a shaved head fucking spin on them that's not a good time no no and uh, of course they didn't even fill up all the shows all the you know all the venues so they would play for like a couple hundred people in a in a venue that was you know built for like a thousand so it didn't really work out the way they planned it would no Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. So after the tour, Bass player Tessa, who, if you'll remember, had struggled with addiction in the past, fell into a depression and started taking two and all, the same drug Sid Vicious was on the night Nancy Spungen was murdered, and the results were predictably disastrous. Yeah, well, Viv said that she walked into the apartment that they shared and Tessa was asleep on the couch, because remember, Tessa could sleep anywhere mm. for long periods of time, and that's when they kind of figured out why that was going on. Yeah. Like, Viv... Walks in, she sees Tessa, and she's like, I'm going to have some fun with my roommate. So she puts on some music really loud, and she's, like, jumping around on the couch, saying, like, hey, wake up. And then, like, she she goes to Tessa, and Tessa doesn't move, and she even looked a little pale. And so Viv tried to shake Tessa awake, and Tessa kind of, like, flops down. And Viv is like, fuck. Yeah. You know, something's real wrong. This is bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, people are dying from heroin overdoses in the U.K. left and right. Right. So Viv, she calls up this hotline number release uh, that where you could just call up and be like, hey, it took too much mushrooms or whatever. And they, it's like a volunteer group that kind of helps you and lets you know, like, 
what to do in a case of an overdose. So she calls up release and she says, okay, what do I do about Tessa? And they're like, get her an ambulance. <laughs> this is not something you could simply walk off. Yeah, this isn't give her some orange slices and she'll be fine. Yes. <laughs> and Tessa, you know, she was hospitalized for a while. She was in a coma. It was so bad, her mom brought in a priest to read her last rites. Yeah. But luckily, she did finally wake up, and she recovered completely. But that was a very scary thing, especially with these young girls. Yeah. I mean, I it, mean like, what do you do when one of your best friends, like, <laughs> almost dies? <laughs> no fucking idea. That happened a lot yeah, in that scene. It really did. Around the same time that Tess overdosed, Cut reached its top spot in the British charts eking into the top 30 at number 24, which sounds pretty good, but number 24 in the UK is very different from number 24 in America when it comes to sales. Is it because of there's less people? Yeah, it's because it's a lot less people. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like number 24. Yeah, it's there's fucking 300 million Americans. Like it, it is a vast difference when it comes to population. So number 24, like it's great, but it doesn't translate to a fucking Lamborghini, you know? In other words, since the Slits' big tour for the album didn't make any money at all, and since the record didn't sell well enough to make up the difference for the advance, some very serious arguments erupted between the Slits and Island regarding payment. Oh, yeah. They got dropped from Island Records. Yeah. That sucks. You know how Viv Albertine found out? How? She was doing an interview with Melody Maker, and, and they asked her, like, what do you think of Island Records? She's like, oh, they're great. They really get us. <laughs> And then they go, well, they dumped you today. And she's like, they what? (laughs) That's how she found out. It's fucking nuts. And the band was obviously upset. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, but really, it was just about the money, you know, because they didn't generate a lot of money for the for the record label even though they did believe like oh yes we we really appreciate the art uh you know the the music you guys play we want you guys to represent yourselves oh you're you're not paying the bills well you you're out i'm sorry and they also said you owe us money from all you guys went way over budget but the slits were like but i thought you owed us money <laughs> So it that was the end of that. There was just a fight between who owes who money. It, it just got kind of messy. It got messy and it continued being messy. Like I even read uh, an interview with one of the sleds from like the 2000s where they were still like, yeah, Island still owes us royalties from Cut. We don't get any royalties from Cut. It's like, well. Did you pay back the you money? Spent, <laughs> you'd spent a lot of money and you didn't pay back the advance and your album didn't sell all that well. Like. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Island's kind of right on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I know, which sucks because I really liked what they were doing. Yeah. But it just didn't, yeah, it just didn't make enough money. And, and that, you know, what makes the world go around? Money. Money. Yeah, yeah. This week's No Dogs in Space is brought to you by Bespoke Post. You know, my mailbox is usually a pretty mundane place, and I bet y'all are thinking, oh, man, me too. Well, once a month, I get something in the mail I always look forward to. My box of awesome from Bespoke Post. This month, I have been loving the Terra Box. The Terra Box comes with the ultimate tool. It's pretty much a sweet knife, but it's a sweet knife that you can use in all sorts of ways, and it comes with a pretty sweet canvas sheath. You can use it to dig, you can use it to cut, 
anything you can do with a knife. And that also came with a detox scrub bar and an Abudan bird call that I can use to go out of my balcony and call birds. No matter what you're into, there's a box of awesome for you. From style and grooming goods to cooking tools and outdoor gear, there's a box of awesome for every, dare I say, awesome part of your life. You can't decide which one you want? Take the quiz at boxofawesome.com and your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. That's how I got the sweet knife. They're always releasing new boxes each and every month with all your interests in mind. Best part is it's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel anytime. Each box costs only 45 bucks and it has over $70 worth of gear inside. That's a good deal. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code NODOGS at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code NODOGS for 20% off your first box. So after leaving Island, the Slits briefly signed to Dick O'Dell's Y Records and bootlegged themselves for a collection of demos and live tracks called Retrospective. We've already played a lot of songs from Retrospective on this series already. A lot of the live tracks, the early live stuff that you heard, was on Retrospective. Now even though Y Records was seemingly a good fit for the Slits, they still needed a stable record label with a strong promotional arm. So the Slits joined CBS Records, which, you know, CBS Epic, the Clash were already there, with no hard feelings from Dick O'Dell, who soon left as manager as well. Soon after, the Slits finally made it to America for their first United States tour, and kicked off the whole thing by playing hurrahs in New York City with a bizarre Canadian multi-instrumentalist who always played live covered in surgical bandages, like the <laughs> fucking Invisible Man, named Nash the Slash. It's like fucking Rick Wakeman mixed with Suicide, mixed with John Cale. It's so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, real, I'm really fucking loving Nash the Slash. Yeah, they were touring in America. I mean, the Slits came to America. Yeah. Twice. <laughs> they did two tours. I mean, the first one was with The Clash, and, you know, they had a great time. They brought Steve Beresford, who was an amazing musician who could play, like, any instrument you can possibly think of. Hell yeah. Uh, so they had him come along. And then, like, the awkward thing with Mick Jones. Mm-hmm. Viv and Mick have been broken up for a while. She's like, oh, that's so nice to meet your new girlfriend. <laughs> but, you know, they, they were all professional. And they all yeah. got along great. 
And then <laughs> man, that had to have been kind of fucking. That had to have been kind of uh, like awkward for Viv because at this point, like Train in Vain was the Clash's first like United States hit. You like, see, <laughs> yeah. it, it helps to have a temper. <laughs> they both did. Just add, added at each yeah, other. Added, added, one on top of the other, on top of the other. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you're young. Why not? Yeah, of course. But I mean, they were also very outspoken, even in. America, which is a little more conservative at, in some places where they were playing at. Very much so. Yeah. No, America was highly conservative. Yeah, in the early 80s, highly, highly conservative. Like, this is the time, this is 1981, so we're getting the, like, moral majority land. Like, this is Ronald Reagan coming in and, you know, saying we have to return to, you know, the silent majority. You know, we have to return to home values. All the fucking hippies are becoming yuppies. You know, the whole country, America is starting to change back to the fucking conservative wasteland that it ended up becoming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the beginning of that. And like, look at Ari with like dreads, huge ass dreads all the way down her back and the girls dressed up and, uh, you know, they, they just marked themselves with lipsticks all, all over their arms and legs. I mean, like, they probably looked a little different. Yeah. Except for like maybe LA, but even in LA, they had problems. You know, they stayed in the Tropicana like yeah. we talked about and <laughs> they they actually would cause a scene sometimes. Yeah, Ari. It's mostly Ari fault well Ari's kind of, I mean we haven't really addressed it much so far well, but let's start now <laughs> Ari Up's kind of known for making a scene she was a loud mouth yes. with no inhibitions which is something that you can you know really respect and be in awe of or sometimes be annoyed by makes her a fantastic performer like it really like her complete and total lack of inhibitions made her a fantastic performer, made her a fantastic singer. She could do whatever the fuck she wanted on stage with no inhibitions whatsoever. But as a person, it made her highly difficult. Well, are you talking about like at a show uh, what, when they played in the music machine? She had to pee real bad in the middle of the set and couldn't take it anymore. So she just pulled down her leggings and peed right there. <laughs> Ari also had a thing for pissing in public. She well, really she loved pissing go. in public. She had to go. When you, you have to go. You, you remember the go. Slits documentary where she also pissed in public? They didn't even mention pissing in public on the fucking documentary, but then they showed her pissing in a parking lot, and she's laughing and loving it. <laughs> it's kind of funny, though. <laughs> it's very funny. No, it's funny. Yeah, that's she's like... very charming. <laughs> I mean... Charming. <laughs> she w well, she was the most brazen one, but the other girls were also capable of being like forcefully honest. Yeah, which is like sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's shitty. Like the time when they were on a TV show in Holland and they were on the bill with Sally Oldfield, which is Mike Oldfield's sister. She was on the show promoting her single Mirrors. The girls were sitting in the green room with Sally and they just went after her and they told her like, you're an embarrassment to women everywhere. Yeah. You should be ashamed of yourself. Look, look what a phony you are. Like you're wearing a dress and you're, 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 you're singing like with a breathy lilt, you know, uh, that, that's all wrong. They actually made her cry. That's terrible. That, I mean, it's awful. They're, and they're like, yeah, we did shit like that all the time. Yeah, because that's the other thing. Sally Oldfield has a beautiful voice. Yeah. I love Sally. Like, actually, listen to Mirrors. This song's really good. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't deserve that. So pretty. <laughs> we are mirrors in the sun and we brightly shine. We are singing and dancing in perfect time. There is nothing in the world that we can do to stop the light of love come shining. Oh, 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 oh,
highly pleasant. Yeah. And music like that has its place too. Like you also need like very like lilting pleasant music. And yeah, it's not it's just like a preference. It's not like so, there was somebody in the fucking room holding a gun to Sally Oldfield's head saying you got to sing like this. <laughs> like Sally Oldfield was singing that song that mu- she was singing that music because she, that's how she liked to sing. That's yeah. what she wanted to do. And it's, you know, it, it's shitty of the slits to tell her that she's shitty for doing that. Yeah, I think it's infuriating because you know, I know I understand a lot of women feel like, you know, you can't put us in a box. You can't tell us what to do, but I'm going to tell this woman what to do. Yeah. I'm going to put her in a box and say, yeah, because you're (laughs) not doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that that is somewhat of the that that tended to be like a pitfall of the punks. Uh, You know, it's where they're like, man, what a bunch of fucking conformists. Everybody's like wearing their fucking suits. And at the same time, you go to a punk show and everybody looks exactly the fucking same. (laughs) Like, it's just like it's like a variation on a tan suit, you know, or like a blue suit and a fucking. Red tie. It's the exact same fucking thing, you know. It's and you know that it's it's hypocritical. Yes, you know, and very much the slits, so. Very... The slits could be very hypocritical at times. Oh yeah, especially when they were younger. I feel like they they kind of grown a little bit better since then. And yeah. like, but remember, like these were girls who were kind of sheltered in their own homes, in their own places, and then they were starting to travel and meet new people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back to the 1981 tour of in America, mm-hmm. they would eat at all these vegetarian cafes because most of them were vegetarian, and Ari would run to the kitchen and tried to talk to the Mexican workers in the back. Like, does anyone know how to say exploited in Spanish? <laughs> like that. She needed to take a stance during lunch. <laughs> did she t- Did she speak Spanish? No. <laughs> so she had to try to kind of communicate in some way. And the guy's like, I don't know. D- did you want an extra side of potatoes? We don't, we don't know what you're saying. Do it in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> you, your first language is Spanish. Just do it in Spanish. Me? I'm not Ari. <laughs> No, you. What? Uh, what? What would the workers? How would the workers yo, respond? Yo, yo no entiendo. <laughs> está gringado, está hablando. No sé qué lo que está diciendo. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. You're welcome. I'm not your monkey. <laughs> Don't put me in a box. So <laughs> they were in the, in the cafe in L.A. And what happened was that Ari decided to start a scene in this particular cafe. So in the middle of the restaurant, she starts yelling, you Americans are disgusting people. You're slave masters. You're exploiting the immigrant workers. Okay, that may be true. Fair point. <laughs> and she's doing this in 1981. And long before it was, you know, long before it was widely known, but you know, and fair point. However. Yeah, but the girls are like, shut up. We're really hungry. We want to eat. <laughs> but how could you get Arya to shut up? You can't. You absolutely cannot. It got so bad, the manager of the restaurant called the police, especially when Ari spat on the manager. I mean, that's why the, the, the police were called, because yes, Ari assault. starts, yeah, it's assault, yes. When you spit on someone, it's technically assault at that point. Yeah, Ari got arrested, and she had to get bailed out by their new manager, Christine. <laughs> Christine worked with for Dick, and, you know, he kind of handed them to her. Uh, she had to get the money wired to her from England, so they could bail her out so they could keep playing the shows. I mean, this is how difficult the slits could be sometimes. Unnecessarily difficult, but well, yes, we see your point. Yeah. <laughs> So after coming back from America, the Slits began work on their second and final album with the original lineup, the amazingly cool and innovative record, Return of the Giant Slits. Also, so fucking underrated. Yeah.
you got to listen to John Peel session of that song. It I've, is so so good. I've actually never heard it. I got to fucking check that out. That I mean, that's one of my favorite slut songs. I love Earth Beat so much. It's such a departure, a complete and total departure from what they were doing before. But still, the slits at the same time. Yeah. I mean, they recorded the album in like different studios all around uh, England and, and bits and pieces here and there. And the reason why they did it here and there instead of just sitting together in a, in, in a medieval farmhouse for <laughs> 10 weeks is because they wanted to like focus on each track individually. Yeah. And they also wanted to be more experimental showing their wider musical influences that they're actually being that they're actually being exposed to as they're traveling and meeting all these people like Nene, Sherry and and all their friends that they're they're starting to make. You know, they're getting an entourage together. Yeah, I mean, you can cuz like Don Cherry's got some pretty big like what he's got some big world vibes to him. Yes. Uh, and you can really hear that world music influence. And that's the cool thing about Return of the Giant Slits is it it's not what it ended up doing for punk it's the impact that it had on the experimental music scene because the slits were among the first bands to incorporate world music into their style nobody'd really fucking done that before like fucking paul simon hadn't done graceland yet you know like the slits were some of the first people to just like that's cool i listen to that shit i want to put that in my music too yeah kind of like how the clash did as well with a lot of reggae mm-hmm. but the slits like they you know they brought they bring this up a lot they they give a lot of credit where credits do is like we we have friends jamaica barbados africa and like this is like kind of how we want to move more worldly instead of in like a, a rigid approach of punk you know, like the percussion, for example, like maybe it's not meant to be fast and heavy all the time. Like how they explain that some African tribes would beat the drums m- like more based on the moment and the, and the mood. Sometimes they'll be fast and sometimes slow. They would compare it to sex. Yeah. It's like, are you sure you want a jackhammer all night? <laughs> or do you want a mixed range of movement, you know, to experience within a song or album or sex? Hell yeah. <laughs> So when retire, so <laughs> <laughs> I broke you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hot in here. We're in our underwear. It's re- the tension's rising. Okay. So when Return of the Giant Slits was released in October 1981, a lot of the reviews on the album were mixed. But the ones who really loved it and also got to see the Slits perform the record live, they did mention that it is better live. And and maybe some of those like emotions, those moods, like they don't translate so well sometimes. No, not not always. I mean, it is a difficult album. It is not the easiest album to listen to. It's <laughs> yeah. not like listening to like fucking London Calling where you're just enjoying yourself the whole time. Like these songs are so catchy. Like, you know, really the song that I think they really hit something. Uh, they really hit the nail on the head with the song difficult fun yes because uh, that i think perfectly describes the slits difficult <laughs> yes. fun hell i would that's what i would have called their fucking documentary it was <laughs> difficult fun let's listen to the song it's great and you know what it's difficult fun <laughs>
a difficult fun. Yeah. It's perfect. It, it is quite a departure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as you heard there, Return of the Giant Slits is a weird fucking record in every way. And then even the cover's weird as shit. It looks cool, though. Yeah, yeah it does. It, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, so as such, it didn't even get released in America. And it barely got promoted in England. Why did it go on tour? <laughs> that made this album a forgotten classic of high strangeness until it was re-released in 2004. Let's hear one more. Stared out from the minute that I leave the place My eyes straight ahead of me Cutting into space You don't make eye contact Standing on the street Cause that's an invitation to everyone you meet And things can get uncomfortable On tube chains late at night When the body in the car is thinks if he asks you my must I be polite? Carefree, carefree, who do you think smells? Hostility or honesty and infinitely dress? Carefree, carefree, who do you think I'll admit it's a difficult listen. It can be. It I can mean, be. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's great. It's still great, yeah. But just as the recording sessions for Return of the Giant Slits were coming to an end, one of the members got hit with a surprise. <laughs> Ari Up was pregnant with twins. Oh, congratulations. But neglected to tell the band. Well, for, at first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's up for debate as to whether she was actually keeping a secret or if she was just trying to be super cool about the whole thing and just be like, yeah, they don't need to know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I'm pregnant. Okay, that's cool. Whatever. Yeah, she was very aloof about it. Yeah. <laughs> but as the pregnancy advanced, Ari couldn't quite take the stress of touring, which is totally understandable. She removed her eyebrows from her face one at a time. She just started plucking her fucking eyebrows out until she didn't have any left. Plus, Tessa's drug addiction was slowly creeping into the highly dangerous territory. So, by late 1981, the Slits began to disintegrate, and they played their last show at Hammersmith Palais in December, although nobody knew at the time that this would be the last Slits gig with the early 80s lineup. Yeah, I mean, they kind of knew, because they were kind of growing apart. I mean, Ari was 15 when they started, Tessa was 17. They, they were making their own friends and showing interest in, like, different kinds of music. Remember, they were very different girls who got together to make two great albums, but also when they got a little older and more mature, they, they, they felt more confident to maybe, like, be their own individual selves. Just do their own thing, yeah. It's, yeah. Which is, I mean, it, it's highly understandable. Very few bands that start when everyone's 15 or 16 or 17, very few of those bands last. Even Hanson took a big break. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That, that came Even out. Hanson. <laughs> I mean, they might have needed to be part of a group to be strong enough. Uh, the Slits, not Hanson. <laughs> because remember, the girls would dress like outlandishly. They would say all kinds of crazy things. But like, imagine wearing their, their outfits and walking down the street. I mean, they 
not to say that they weren't brave, but maybe they needed to get, to be together for protection from hostile or confused onlookers. <laughs> or like the time that Viv wore a tampon that she dipped in reddish brown paint and she wore it like over her ear, like an earring. <laughs> it was part of her outfit. So <laughs> this happened, really. Yeah. Viv was all dressed up in, you know, her great outfit. She was wearing like a blue tutu and Doc Martin boots. You know, she has great style. I mean, people wear that today. Yeah. And also with the tampon on her ear. <laughs> and she's like sitting there waiting for the bus when this middle-aged Jamaican woman couldn't stop staring directly at Viv. Like just full on staring. And the whole time waiting at the bus, she was just wide-eyed and speechless. <laughs> <laughs> and so right when the bus was pulling up to the stop, the Jamaican woman just couldn't keep it to herself anymore. So she went up to Viv and said, oh, oh God, I, I, I don't know how to tell you this. <laughs> but you have a... Um, a, a, a tampon. A tampon. I don't know what to do. God, I'm sorry. I had to tell you. It's in your hair. And Viv gets on the bus and smiled at her and said, I know. It's meant to be there. Have a nice day. So gathering from the strength of the girls' unity probably went as far as it could go. Yeah, it really did. And now it's time to figure out who they were as individuals. I mean, that man, those are my favorite punk stories. The <laughs> ones where, you know, the general public is looking at them and, like, they're genuinely concerned for their well-being. Like, just like, are you okay? Like, is everything going to be okay? Like, I'm really worried about you. And they're like, oh, she's just weird. She's just an <laughs> odd duck. I've got a nephew like you. <laughs> Well, you know, and you know, I think you make a very good point about them, you know, needing that sort of like th needing that sort of unity because you know, like Viv Albertine said that like she eventually kind of got tired of people staring at her all the time. She said that she walked by um, a department store one day and she looked at her reflection and she didn't know who the fuck was looking back at her because she said she had to be so hard all the time to beat back those sort like people calling her all sorts of names and having to deal with people like constantly giving her shit she's like i don't want to live like this anymore yes for some people they can they they can really just get tougher and just say deal with it this is me like i mean the drag queen scene i mean why do you think they're so fucking badass <laughs> cuz they had to deal with a lot of abuse yeah they have to fucking beat it back you know and, and dave vanian bought a car because he didn't want to get harassed on the bus anymore yeah i mean that's yeah. how bad it was this episode is also brought to you by expressvpn when it comes to weird websites researching for podcasts can lead you to lots of strange places i know most of you are probably thinking why don't you just use incognito mode well let me tell you something incognito mode doesn't hide your activity it doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history your internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited that's why even when i'm at home i never go online without using expressvpn it doesn't matter if you get your internet from verizon or comcast internet service providers in the u.s can legally sell your information to ad companies expressvpn is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your isp can't see the sites you visit express ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background, and it's so easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button, and you're protected. Express 
ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV, so there's no excuse for you to not be using it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash nodogs, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash nodogs, expressvpn.com slash nodogs to learn more. Oh, it's all there. Yeah. Now, the end of the slits seemed to be a foregone conclusion for just about everybody in the band. But to Christine Robertson, the woman who took over as manager after Dick O'Dell, the dissolution of the slits came as a complete surprise. To an embarrassing degree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is right after the new year, 1982. They called up Howard Thompson, who was the CBS executive. We talked about him in the Suicide Series. And they also called up their manager, Christine Robertson, for a meeting. So they didn't know what the meeting was about. But Christine was happy anyways because she just found out she was pregnant. (laughs) So she came in the meeting and sat down and said, guess what, guys? I'm going to have a baby. Yay! And the girls were like, oh, well, we're quitting the slits <laughs> and Ari's pregnant too what <laughs> oh okay oh, fine. oh right my my world is caving and, <laughs> but it was time for them it really was and CBS was totally fine with that they're like yeah well you barely made any money for us anyways so totally okay yep after the split the slits went their separate ways Viv Albertine went back to school and became a director mostly for the BBC Tessa fell further into addiction but eventually recovered and is now doing quite well. Yeah, she got into martial arts. She found like a discipline she needed to recover from her heroin addiction, which made her, it made her stronger and mentally and physically. Yeah, it really. So good for her. Good for her. I mean, the, the here to be heard, the Slits documentary, like Tessa is the main character. Like she's the one that narrates the whole thing and she seems to be doing all right. Yeah. As far as what Ari did, she had her twins, moved to Jamaica with the father of her twins and continued releasing music. Although her life was up and down. Yeah. Well, she was she was known as the, the crazy lady in Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> you see, the thing is, like, she's definitely a personality. She very much is. And she would go and dance at the dance halls and, like, you know, just hang out and jam with everybody, drum circles. And, you know, it's like either you like her or you find you think she's crazy. Yeah. But everybody knew her. <laughs> there was actually a rumor that, that people started spreading around in Jamaica saying that she was an undercover CIA spy. <laughs> and Ari was trying to figure out how to, uh, how to squash that rumor. Yeah. But to no avail. <laughs> so she eventually moved to Brooklyn. Yeah, she moved to Flatbush. And, you know, the twins, like, I mean, Ari... Uh, eventually, Johnny Rotten had to take the kids. Yeah, Johnny Rotten with his wife, Nora. Remember, Ari's mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Johnny Rotten is Ari's stepfather. Yeah. And they, they took him in because they had a, a more stable household. Who knew? <laughs> and, because Ari probably didn't focus on disciplining and rearing the kids the way that maybe they should to be uh, in society. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nora also didn't necessarily discipline her child to be fit in the society. Yeah. You know, like it kind of goes from one to the next to the next. But uh, that's the weird thing about it is that, yeah, it's, it's weird to think about Johnny Rotten, the fucking lead singer of the Sex Pistols, like taking in a couple of kids. Yeah, he and did. And raising them. Like 20 years ago, uh, he did that in the year 2000. And then now he's the sole caretaker for Nora, who's suffering from Alzheimer's right now. Yeah. Like he, that's what he wants to do. He's like, I, I want my, I want to be around my family. I don't want to hang out with buttholes. <laughs> 
That is a quote. He does love saying buttholes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Johnny Rotten, you know, say what you will about him. You know, he's, he in interviews, yeah, he's a bad interview. You know, he's, <laughs> yes. he, he relishes being an asshole. We've all seen the clip from the South by Southwest punk uh, panel from a few years ago where it's Johnny Rotten fighting everybody else and Henry Rollins in the middle of it going like, hey guys, we're all friends here. (laughs) (laughs) But it's because that's what Johnny Rotten likes to do. But when you look at what he's done for his family and for the people that he loves, like he seems like a good dude. He seems like a dude that can, he seems like a guy that takes care of his own, you know? Yeah. That's a pretty good thing to say about a person. Yeah. As far as Paloma goes, though, Paloma Romero, the original drummer of the Slits, the original drummer of the Raincoats, she had perhaps the most surprising journey out of everyone. (laughs) (laughs) She married an American named Dave, moved to Cape Cod, and became, for a time, a practicing Christian who now seems like the sweetest abuela on the block. Yeah, she's adorable. She's a Spanish teacher and a proud grandmother of 12 grandkids. She teaches junior high Spanish. Oh. <laughs> you know, I was in a punk band once. Yeah. Dave! Dave! <laughs> like, we were so crazy. We were so crazy back then. We were in punk and... Oh, <laughs> Oh, yes, keep your hands here, sir. In 2006, the slits were revived by Ari and Tessa. Because Viv, she declined to participate for any more than two gigs. She said the slits belong to a moment in time that has long since passed. Yeah, Viv, she put down the guitar back in 1982. She was done. So after 20 years, she had to relearn a lot of it. And she, she even got help from her old buddy, Keith Levine. Hey, he's stayed alive. He's still alive. <laughs> no longer a heroin addict. <laughs> so she even played a few solo shows. But, you know, and she even started out at open mics for over a year. So she paid her dues, even though she was already in an amazing, important band back in the, the early 80s. And she was already in her late 40s, but she... She didn't care. She's like, I'll start from the bottom mm-hmm. and build my way back up. And soon enough, she was opening for the Raincoats in 2009 in America. And she even ran into Paul Mollive in yeah. New York. <laughs> because, they invited, because they invited Paul Mollive. She was in the Raincoats before, remember? Yeah, of course. Uh, so they all had a good time together. It was so funny. Paul Mollive just came to New York just to see them play at the Knitting Factory. And even though they were all 25 years older, they still had... Fun hotel hijinks, because that never ends. <laughs> never, ever. Oh, man, I bet they had so much fun, like, feeling like a whole bunch of, like, naughty girls again. Yeah, the Raincoats, <laughs> Palmolive, and Viv, they decided to have a slumber party together the, that night in the hotel. So they grabbed their mattresses from their rooms and tried to smuggle them into one room. <laughs> but they were caught by the hotel manager. But luckily, Palmolive's like, I got this. We've done this before. (laughs) And they charmed him into letting them have their little party. So, you know, they still kept in touch, you know, Christmas cards and stuff. (laughs) Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. The legends are true. Overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for limited time while supplies last. Yeah, and the Sluts, you know, like they did, uh, like they did record one more album. You know, it's stylistically all over the fucking place. Like half of it's reggae, some of it's auto-tuned. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's not really any of this. It, it's just, it is what it is. Yes, I mean, it, it's got some really fun, interesting parts, and then other parts where they were like, oh, that, but that's that's okay too. Yeah, and they and they did like a full, they did a full tour, you know, small venues, and they played a show with the New York Dolls. Uh, so you know, they made a bit of a not, I wouldn't say a comeback, but you know what, man, they were having fun, and yeah. that's all the fucking Just matters. Making music, releasing music, and playing live—that's all you really want to do, right? Yep. Tragically, though, just after the Slits released that one last album. Ari Up died of breast cancer in 2010 after infuriatingly refusing chemo for two years because she didn't want to cut off her dreadlocks. Rastafarian. Yeah. It was a, it was a part, it was like she did it under a, uh, she was under a religious principle. You know, and she also, you know, tried a bunch of shit that just didn't work. You know, a lot of the, you know, she went the, the Steve Jobs route, you yeah. know, trying just a bunch of shit that just does not work. Um, and she died. Yeah, it was really sad. Everybody, obviously, the slits were very, very upset by hearing this news, especially Palm Olive, who's like, you know, I'm a breast cancer survivor. I took the chemo and I did all that. And I wish I could have talked to her when I knew what was going on. But Ari kind of just ignored all that. And she yeah. just kept playing until she got too sick. And then, unfortunately, she she died from that. Yeah. I mean, she, I think she ended up playing live for like another year after she knew, like 2009, they were still touring. They were still playing live. And the other meant like Tessa, like Tessa said, like there was something up. We knew there was something wrong, you know, and then and then she died. Yeah. And, the um, youngest one. Yeah. The youngest one died at what was it, like 52 or something She's like 48. that. 48. God. Now, one of the advantages of living in 2020, one of the few advantages of living in 2020 <laughs> is that we can now look back at the musical lineage of literally thousands of bands and we can see how certain musicians shaped and changed the landscape of any genre we choose. And looking back from the perspective we have now, we can see that the Slits were far more than just two great albums. While they may have never been popular, because as I said, even their reunion tour was mostly small venues, the slits were more important for the waves they made. Put simply, the slits are your favorite band's favorite band. If you read interviews with alternative musicians from the 80s and 90s or indie musicians or fucking whoever, musicians whose music is a little more experimental, a little more raw, and specifically a little more lady-centric, the influence that gets name-checked again and again is the slits. Perhaps the most obvious of the movements to have been born directly from the slits occurred in Olympia, Washington in the early 90s. The Riot Girl movement. Yeah. Headlined mostly by Bratmobile, Bikini Kill, and our favorite... Yes. Sleater Kinney. Yes.
couldn't love Slaterkin anymore. I know. I've been listening <laughs> to them for over over 20 years now. Yeah, both of us. Yeah. I mean, well, it, it, they even say like, oh, the raincoats and the slits. We got to give credit where credit's due. Of course. And yes, they they sprung up from Olympia, Washington, you know, because a, a lot of the indie rock scene, you know, the Riot Girl movement uh, did come. A lot of it came from the northwestern part of America, like Washington. Uh, but, you know, there were also other bands who also came from like like Britain, like Huggy Bear. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah, Huggy Bear's fucking great. Yeah. And these bands, they were comprised of like mostly women and who expressed themselves through music like like punk or indie rock or even folk sometimes with politics and feminism on like a, on a very human level yeah which is very very important about it it's like hey i'm pissed off i want to sing about it the same thing the, the sex pistols did the same thing the ramones did the same thing uh, iggy pop same yeah. thing i'm bored no fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and it's all so fucking relatable yes and and it's not just individually with like each band but also like on a grander scale where people could come together and put out records fanzines internet blogs or even get into politics just like the many of the bands we covered that like you know there's no scene for us make it yourself they were very diy extremely so and the great thing about it is that, like, even if I can't relate to, like, Sleater Kenny, like, even if, like, I can't necessarily relate in the way that, like, you relate to Sleater Kenny, doesn't matter because the music is fucking amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is all on a human level. I mean, we it's all... It's all so human, yeah. So that's what makes it so fucking cool so and ma- really important. Yeah, extremely important. Such great fucking music. But even outside the Riot Girl scene, Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth actually puts the slits as number one when people ask her about her influences, and that inspiration would carry 16 Sonic Youth albums. see a really fun artifact of the 90s go see uh, Sonic Youth on YouTube playing that song on the Tonight Show uh, and seeing David Letter- Letterman very confused about what's going on. <laughs> boy, guys, that was great. Like that. <laughs> that was an interesting piece of music. Yeah, boy, howdy, was that wonderful. And of course, if you watched MTV in the mid-90s, you'll remember that bouncing around the music video for Bull and the Heather was Kathleen Hanna, lead singer of Bikini Kill.
the best singers of the 90s. Yes. <laughs> Hands Definitely. down. You know, and if we're talking Kathleen Hanna, then we would be remiss if we didn't also mention her band after Bikini Kill, La Tigre. Yes. I love La Tigre. <laughs> love La Tigre. Actually, eh, maybe a lot, this might be a little controversial, <laughs> but I actually like La Tigre more than I like Bikini Kill. You know what? Me too. Yeah. Oh, well, it's that's, fine. Holy shit. That's why we're married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cause, I mean, La Tigre, they were able to mix political and social messaging into catchy as fuck electronically tinged punk. Yeah, Kathleen Hanna singing about Amadou Diallo and black men getting killed by the police in 2001. This wow. This woman's been on top of it for a long yes. fucking time. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and even beyond the politics of Kathleen Hanna, which certainly shared a thing or two with the views of Ari Up, you also had bands influenced by the Slits who were just straight up fucking aggression, like the criminally underrated L7. <laughs> Oh, man, that song got me... That song fucking got me through junior high. Really? Oh, yeah. Natural Born Killer soundtrack. Oh, that's right. Yeah, when I was yeah. fucking like an angry like teenager, like, you know, fuck, man, fuck this town. Fuck, I, I hate this place. Everyone's so fucking mean and like shitty. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I just fucking listened to shit lists so fucking loud. It helped me through a very, very tough time in adolescence. Mm. And even outside the American bands, the reach of the slits even reached Iceland. 
in the early 80s, where that tiny, wonderful nation actually had its own fucking sick post-punk scene going. Yes. Oh, man, check out Fear. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> One of those bands in that scene was called Tapi Tikaras, <laughs> which in English translates to Cork the Bitch's Ass. But the lead singer of that band... <laughs> So pretty. So pretty. Tapi tikaras. <laughs> but the lead singer of that band, featured in the fantastic documentary Rock in Reykjavik, was, like Ari, only 16 when she first got on stage. It was 1981, 1982, somewhere around there. And that singer went through that band, then another band, then another band. But she fully embraced her Ari Upness in the 90s as one of the most popular women of the scene. If we're talking Iceland, oh, you better believe we're talking Bjork. Yes, Bjork! <laughs> <laughs> out to me like oh are we gonna talk about Bjork because she sounds exactly like Aria yes <laughs> we gotta we gotta bring her up it was like holy shit I'd never noticed it before and, but then the moment you said it especially a song like Army like especially like that uh, debut like that whole like that like Army of Me and Human Behavior it's like fuck yeah that's totally Aria <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I don't think it was a direct influence but you know because Iceland was a you know small it's a small beautiful little country but holy shit. I mean, you know, I would not be surprised in the least bit if the slut, because, you know, UK and the UK and uh, Iceland, like they're fucking right there next to each other. That is true. There was a punk movement, a very small one, but a great one yeah. in Iceland. There really was. We got uh, to go see it at the museum. Yeah, they got a little museum there. Yeah, it was, it's <laughs> fucking great. Yeah, we went to Iceland to, well, partly to see that. But yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> was a part of the trip, definitely. Uh, but yeah, Iceland actually uh, does have a, a wonderful punk history. Uh, and, you know, if we ended up, if we ended up doing like an international punk episode in the future which we absolutely might i think we should i think we should uh we're definitely gonna cover what happened in iceland but even outside of the influence the slits had on female singers and female bands they along with contemporaries the raincoats also had a gigantic influence 
on the more experimental songs of Kurt Cobain. the guitar part the singing even Chris Novoselic's bass on that fuck I mean that could come straight out of fucking you know Tess's fingertips that bass line you know it reminds me a lot of stuff on cut yes oh yeah yeah and you know Kurt Cobain was of course famously a big Raincoats fan yes we yeah we talked about it in the last <laughs> yeah we talked about it in the last episode yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 but in other words if you've listened this far and still have a smile on your face a lot of the shit you love has the direct stamp of Ari Up, Viv Albertine, Paloma Romero, Budgie Clark, and Tessa Pollitt, the secret ingredients of 20th century music. See, the Slits were outside of the outsiders, rebellious towards the rebels, never compromising their vision or their principles, no matter how badly it hurt them at the time. And although the Slits' music is admittedly challenging, there's no doubt that without their uncompromising vision, along with the support of others who believed in them when no one else would, music today would sound a hell of a lot different. The way I put it to you, the cake wouldn't taste the same. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the ingre- like, they really are the, the secret ingredient. You know, the weird thing, the weird people that came in and said, I'm gonna fu- we're going to fucking do this no matter what anyone says. This is our vision. And, you know, again and again, they made decisions that at the time hurt them. You know, at the time, kept them from going to the next level, uh, at least when it came to being popular. You know, and when you do things like that, you know, the stresses build up. And, you know, that means the band doesn't last as long as it might have otherwise. But when you look through the lens of history, when you look back at the legacy of the Slits, they actually made all the right decisions. That's why they're important. <laughs> That's it, man. That, that is why. That, that That's is why. our thesis statement. Yeah. I mean, uh, and you know, the funny thing is, like, I've heard the slits a little bit here and there before we started this whole punk season, before we really got in deep with all the bands. And I, when I listened to it, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds so much like Slater Kitty. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and I didn't realize, oh, crap. It, there, there had to have been a band to get to Slater Kinney. Yes. There had to have been a band to get to the next, to the next, to the next, to, to the stuff that we're listening to today. Yeah. And the Slits were true originals. Like they were doing shit. They did shit that nobody else did. Uh, and they ended up blossoming a whole fuck, a whole fucking scene ended up blossoming from that. Oh yeah, that's the slits. That's the slits. That's the story of the slits. Thanks everyone for listening to this series. As always, we got uh, another band coming up. Uh, we might have an interview next week. Who knows? Uh, yeah, hopefully we can get some interviews going. Yeah, we think we're gonna get some interviews going for some people who were like there in the scene at the time. Uh, it might give us a little bit of inside information into some of the stories that we've already covered. 
covered so far. Uh, so thank you all very much for listening. We got a band this week. Actually, this week it's a singer. Uh, her name is Anna Arobas. Uh, it's probably just Anna uh, Arobas, but uh, it's A-N-N-A-R-R-O-B-A-S. Uh, she is a singer-songwriter. She has a gorgeous voice. Her voice is its something to behold. You got to listen to this. Uh, her stuff is available on Spotify. Uh, it's available on Bandcamp if you want to go uh, support her there. She's out of Montreal. Uh, and uh, she said in her email that she is the daughter of one of the founding members of Men Without Hats. Hey. Land Down Under. Wow. <laughs> wow, hey, good for her. Music does not sound anything like that. Uh, but what? But if you want to, you know, if you're in a band or you're a singer or you're just a, a musician or something, and you have some music that you want to send to us that we could play at the end of the show, uh, please uh, send it to no, uh, no Dogs in Space at gmail.com, whatever Spotify, YouTube, or w- whatever thing you can send, Bandcamp, whatever it is, we would love to listen to it. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone who's been just sending, like, just really nice stuff to no dogs in space at gmail.com oh, people yeah. have been sending such great wonderful nice emails uh, and thank y'all so much for supporting us here and supporting uh, what we've been doing you know doing a show like this is a, it's a dream come true for us yeah, so, <laughs> it is. so thank y'all very much uh, so now let's listen to uh, Anna Robus uh, the uh, song is a cover of uh, Message to Pretty uh, by Love uh, and it is uh, fucking beautiful so thank you all very much uh, for listening. And, of course, uh, every single episode has a playlist to go along with it over on Spotify. Uh, just search my name, Marcus Parks, uh, and uh, all the playlists will uh, come up if you want to listen to some of the music that uh, we talked about today. It's all there. So yep. here's Message to Pretty. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Goodbye.
just in and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.